Well, as Kevin Stinsiff isn't quite everything on the planet, sometimes it feels like it. It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm Bridget Kremhau. We have a great show for you today about all things Docker. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by CircleCI. Designed for modern software teams, CircleCI's continuous integration and delivery platform helps developers push code with confidence. Trusted by thousands of companies, from four-person startups to Fortune 500 businesses, CircleCI helps teams take their software from idea to delivery quickly, safely, and at scale. Visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash CircleCI to learn why high-performing DevOps teams use CircleCI to automate and accelerate their CI-CD pipelines. This episode is brought to you by cloud-native consultancy, Container Solutions. We bring culture, strategy, and technology together to help you get your cloud-native transformation right. To find out more, visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash Container Solutions. This episode is brought to you by Mac Stadium, leading provider of cloud solutions built on Apple Mac hardware. As more teams are working from home, having your Mac build infrastructure in the cloud can make it easy for your app devs to work more efficiently. No need to have someone in the office keeping an eye on the Macs. Let Mac Stadium do it for you. And if you need a fast, scalable, modern way to run Mac virtual machines, Mac Stadium's virtualization platform, Orca, is purpose-built for running iOS and macOS CI. Orca takes a standard macOS VM, puts it inside a Docker container, and then uses Kubernetes to orchestrate everything, all on Mac hardware. Orca is easy to integrate into your current workflow with plugins for all the popular CI tools, like Jenkins, GitHub, GitLab, and BuildKite. If you're building apps for the Apple ecosystem, learn more about Mac Stadium at macstadium.com slash arrested devops. From that link, you can also get access to a free two-hour sandbox to give Orca a try. Joining us today are two amazing guests. First, talking to us from the UK, uh, we have Justin Cormack, CTO of Docker. Justin, what do you want to tell us about? Hello. Um, well, it's lovely to see you. Uh, so our other guest, we're lucky enough today to have Donny Burkholz, VP Products at Docker. Say hi, Donny. Hey, everybody. So let's get into it. Uh, first, you folks had your community day yesterday. It was actually kind of funny. I wanted to schedule this podcast and then, oh, hold on. They have a community day at that very moment. Um, so you want to kind of Tell me, what what did we hear about at the community day? What's going on with Docker in 2021? We it was actually we it was our second kind of community day. It's it's been weird ha- not having in person events and things. So we started just doing these online things. We had um, two and a half thousand people turn up, which was great. Um, and we um, we 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 talked about you know. Um, you know what what Docker's about and what we're planning to ship and what kind of things we're working on. I think um, I, I think we um, and we showed some little demos and things of things we're working on, the experiments that we're working on, and ideas we're having to the, to get feedback on. I mean, Donny, do you want to talk about some of those? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I joined Docker about uh, five months ago, and I would say that um, you know one of, one of the upsides of, of COVID, from my view, has been the increased uh, virtual first and remote first nature of the world. It gives me an opportunity to be in Minnesota and still do really cool stuff with cool companies. Um, and, and you know, so Docker being a uh, company I regard as super cool. Um, you know, some of the things that I've been bringing into them was trying to help us focus on customer problems. I mean, I think a a challenge that a lot of tech companies have is like building very solution out of like, here's the thing I'd like to build and I'm going to build it and then I'm going to ship it. Um, and then, you know, inevitably three quarters of the time it's just flops because you don't really know what people's problems are and um, how you're trying to help solve them. And so a big focus for me has been how do we make sure we're listening to people who are using Docker, people who are paying for Docker, um, synthesizing the biggest pain points they have in their development workflows, and then um, focusing on on solving those in ways that really um, you know feel magical and, and maintain the kind of love that a lot of people do have for Docker. And so you know some of the things that we hear a lot about are things like you know developer productivity, developer velocity, um, finding finding stuff that I can use that I can trust. Um, instead of just like random repositories somewhere with like three stars on GitHub uh, that seem to be the only thing that'll solve your problem or like whatever somebody copied and pasted on Stack Overflow the other day. Um, you know, those are, it might get the job done, but in a way that everybody agrees, you feel a little bit nervous about like, should I be shipping that into production? Um, not, not quite sure about that. It's the, that question of like, do I take a dependency on this? It hasn't been updated since 2019. And maybe, you know, the the Panini or the Panera caused people to not update it. But maybe this project is never going to be changed again. Um, but when people are trying to figure out like what's going on, I think for Docker specifically, and I'm going to start by directing this question um, to Justin, I feel like a lot of companies don't necessarily put a public roadmap out there. You folks have a lot of transparency and you do. Can you talk a little bit about what people should expect if they want to either get involved with some of the open source or they're taking a dependency on some of this and they're looking at it and thinking, almost there. What does that mean? Developer preview experimental. Is that dangerous? Like what is the, can you kind of give us a little guide to what's going on with the roadmap there? Yeah. So we, we, we try to be very clear about, you know, what, what, um, you know, whether things are ready or not and we've we've i know we we tried to change a lot last year about how we do this as well because previously when we were when we were shipping enterprise products um we were we had this thing where we labeled everything very much as experimental do not touch we would only turn <laughs> thing we would only turn you, you had to figure out the magic runes to how to turn something on so you could even try the experimental thing. And that really made, you know, there was a very anti-trying um, things out thing. It was like there was this culture of whenever we've shipped something, it's it, it's until we know it's right, it's much as experimental. And when we know it's right, uh, then we'll take the experimental flag off and then everyone can actually can use it. But, of course, that's not really how things work because most people don't try the things that have the experimental flag because either, either they can't figure out how to do it or they, it's like, oh, this is labeled as dangerous. So we've um, a bit, we've really been trying to cull all the kind of experimental turn it off, turn it off as experimental things and go for much more like 
maybe a little notice or something saying that something's new or, or these statuses here of like, which we're, we're trying it out. Would you like to experiment? And we've got, you know, different groups of people. We, you know, we have developers who would like to try things out and we and ask to be fed the new stuff. And we've got people who are, you know, maybe slightly later adopters who try them when their friend recommends them. So the, the status we've got on the roadmap um, is, first of all, um, for something to get on the roadmap at all, uh, we put some things on the roadmap because we're thinking about them and we'd like feedback, but anyone else obviously can put things on the roadmap as well. So if you've got an idea or something's bugging you or whatever, like don't hesitate to open an issue. Um, and so, so that's the kind of, you know, that's the state, you know, and we, and we look at them, the product managers look at them every day. We have a weekly meeting where we go through and look at what's new, what's been voted up as well. We look at the we look at the thumbs up votes to kind of rank, like has something got a lot of interest this week? Is that a lot of people saw this and thought, oh, yes, I would like that too. Or is it just, is it something that's quite, you know, that's just one person's idea so far? Um and then things sit in, like things go to investigating because we're like trying to work out, is this feasible? Is this possible? How could we do this? What could we do? So that's that status. Then writing the code is when we've pretty much decided, at least on first principle, what it's going to look like. Um, almost there means we're probably asking people to try it, but, you know, behind maybe uh, the, um, you know, the, uh, the early users, the um, people who, uh, the people who raised it in the issue and things like that, um, and then developer preview experimental means there's some public way of trying it, um, and you know so there's more feedback and then shipped and joy means it's actually gone to you know some sort of GA, but obviously we still potentially iterate on that or you know raise an issue if you need to change it, but you can also, you know, at that point it's for, you know, you can, um, you know, get, you can raise direct issues on, on the actual, you know, product area or, or, or things like that, because it's, or, or, or in product feedback or whatever, and we can see if you have people are using it and so on. So that's the kind of life cycle there. And so we've, we've got a lot more, ways that we're trying you know that we're trying to get things out early to people and without these experimental flags and blocks on people using them yeah i mean that's great that's fantastic and so i'm I'm sitting here looking at this thinking great okay so we've now heard from the cto about all the exciting technology donnie you have a focus on product as a vp product um can you kind of look at this and tell us well, what's a product product project what's happening there yeah i think that's uh you know, something that Docker as a company, we continue to evolve our view on that as well. Um, you know, I think there's a long history of giving lots and lots of things away for free and being um, an amazing community and amazing open source technologies and amazing um, free SaaS services uh, and not so much of how do we turn this into something that creates a really sustainable business model so that Docker will be around in the future um, and will continue to thrive in the future uh, as it, you know, combines what it's done and, and where we're going. Um, and so, you know, when I think about this in the context of, of our roadmap, for example, like one of the things that I'm looking for when we put something on investigating is what's the level of interest in us doing it at all? Is it valuable for people? Um, is there some kind of a way that we can turn that into something where people want to subscribe for Docker 
um, so that they can get access to you know an additional level of capability associated with some of those problems they're trying to solve. Um, so it's not only about the um, technical feasibility part of it. It's also about, you know, is this a valuable pain point for problem um, for people? Are there, you know, as, as Justin said, are there, are there hundreds of upvotes as we saw, for an example, with uh, the, uh, the M1 uh, release, right? In the span of days after Apple made their announcement, it turned into the most upvoted item on our roadmap of all time. Well, I'm, uh, I'm really interested cool. in that because how did that happen so fast? It's not like everyone had that hardware in their hot little hands immediately. Like, how do you how do you see that as being like aspirational versus actually mm-hmm. actionable? What do you think? Yeah, it's to me it, it's been a it's an interesting path of like abstract to concrete because everybody knew a long time ago that, that Apple was going to be doing something ARM like um, mm-hmm. on some of their hardware, and it was a question of like what and when and will it be like the developer versions of hardware, just kind of the consumer grade editions that don't have good CPUs and not enough memory and whatnot. Um, and so then they announced them. They said, hey, we're going to have these pros and they're, you can like buy them now. Uh, and so instantly people turned around and said, oh, but my toolkit is not available. Um, like none of the tools that I need, right? Docker being one of them, um, but none of them work or at least enough of them don't work that I can't use this new toy that I've wanted to purchase. I'm stuck. So everyone is suddenly saying, hey, I need Docker desktop and I need it five minutes ago. Like, does that when Apple kind of drops a, you know, an Apple shaped zero day on you, as it were, like, how do you as a product organization, um, how do you re- react to that? Yeah, it's, it's tough. And I think, you know, especially considering like Docker is not a huge company. Um, and so we have to be really careful about where we put big engineering investments um, yeah. in terms of making sure we get the customer signal first um, instead of just making wild guesses and hoping they work out. Um, so this is one, you know, where, yeah, we could have done it earlier, um, but we didn't have a great set of signal on like, what is the timing and what are the different alternatives of things where we could be putting our time right now um, compared to where we might want to put time in the future? Because it's like a lot of technology, um, you know, you know, it's going to come, you know, it's going to happen. You just can't tell when. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's uh, obviously when we try to either look at our, you know, specific product roadmaps or, um, you know, our hardware vendors roadmaps, or in the case of uh, Justin, um, you could kind of talk a little bit about maybe even the CNCF landscape, because you're also in leadership in the, uh, I believe the TOC, the Technical Operations Committee, I, I have a side. Oversight, that's right, I, I have a like side, yes. so many acronyms, Technical Oversight Committee. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, like how you make technical decision-making in a space where the the scope is apparently everything in the, on the planet? Well, the scope of CNCF isn't quite everything on the planet. Sometimes <laughs> it feels like it, um, like it's the, but it's, um, it's everything. I mean, it is a very ambitious, you know, cloud native is everything that is modern software and modern software delivery. So it, it is a, it is a huge space in, in that sense. Um, I mean, the, the advantage of it to some extent though are you 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 can see things coming um you know and you um and there is a community that 
I mean, there's a huge community around CNCF and cloud native that really, you know, is very open and we talk to each other a lot and we know what's coming most of the time. And I think that um, sometimes from the outside, it looks like, you know, like there might be a consortium of people come together and suddenly announce something, but actually almost, you know, a lot of people know about these things beforehand and they, they, they talk about them. And there's actually much less of that whole kind of big announcement culture um, than they used to be. And there's much more of the, um, you know, let's collaborate on something we're working at. We've got this idea. Let's um, let's work on it together okay, and, and that kind of thing. And so there's a lot more early signal about the kinds of things that people think are interesting, the kind of direction they're going. Um, and yeah, there's, you know, there's, and there's a very, there's a big, con, you know, consolidated ecosystem around everything you need to make Kubernetes work in CNCF. Um, and, you know, over time we're discovering it takes more and more things to make it work. And then you're looking at it and you think, well, actually, yes, that's really is, it's the container ecosystem of everything you need from, you know, development to production and, so far, a lot of CNCF stuff is around the production end of things, but there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff floating around in more developer space as well. Like, um, the, um, I've generally forgotten the name of the, the Spotify, pro, um, project that joined CNCF recently, but, um, you know, which is around much more around user experience for that. And there's a lot more people thinking about developer ends of things and not just infra. And there's people thinking about, um, you know how how we build applications, which is obviously an area that Docker's really been involved in for all its life, really that, yeah. that kind of area. And so, all these things are you know starting to come together, and there's cooperation across across all these areas. You know, sort of in the CNCF TSA is really just looking at things and assessing how mature they are, talking to people who are using them, and finding out if they're working for them, which is really valuable thing to do i really i i really like you know assessing projects because it means i just go and, i can go and talk to people who are using them and find out how they're using them and if they're working for them and what kind of problems they have which is a really nice thing to have an excuse to do i'm mean, not probably do it any you know i probably do it anyway but it's like i've, I've got a reason to talk to you so <laughs> i can go along and ask you how, how you're getting on with um you know with uh, build packs today you know is it working for you it's like how how the users adopting them and those kinds of things which are really you know interesting things to get different views from all the different parts of the ecosystem i'm curious and i want to hear what donny thinks about this how the insights that Donnie, of course, has a background as an analyst and an executive in other, you know, um, uh, end user companies. You have this background of, you know, you've been a technologist for a long time and have insights into a lot of projects that aren't just the ones in your remit. I'm wondering if, uh, Donnie, you want to address how seeing what's happening in the ecosystem is informing which things you open source, which which things you make product decisions about. Yeah, I think... um... You know, the first part of that where where Justin and I really overlap well is when we can have conversations about customer problems. Um, so we can bring all of those different perspectives to bear on that, whether that's from the technology, from the community, what's going on um, at different different vendors or competitors kind of across the technology landscape. It's, it's really what are the problems that we're trying to solve, which ones are unique to us, um, which ones are broader, and then you know, from the view of like, what do we open source? Where do we use open standards? Um, and where do we decide to keep things um, as, as our 
our own products. Um, it's really about what do we want to accomplish? What is the maturity of that particular level of the stack? Um, where are we trying to differentiate um, compared to, you know, where do we feel like it's increasingly becoming, um, you know, more of a utility or commodity, um, right? Because like open standards are a great place to help align a broad set of vendors around things that are starting to become a commodity to make sure that things work consistently for people who are trying to use the software wherever they go. And I think I see a lot of end users, um, whether it's through acquisition or through a variety of departments, they end up using a lot of different, not always interoperable technology. And any place that they can get interoperability, any place they can just ship that container, they are happier. That is for sure. Um, okay, so I want to I want to pivot and talk a little bit about the fact that obviously we have Justin coming to us from you know uh, Cambridge, I believe you're you're located in Cambridge, that's, right? That's right. Yes. 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 Um, and uh, Donnie here in Minnesota, and people are checking this out from around the globe. Uh, I'm wondering if what you've seen, both of you have seen, uh, different this year in terms of you know hiring, onboarding, educating, and reaching your communities, because obviously you were both completely involved. You were extremely online already, completely working remote, or at least collaborating across the globe already. Uh, what stuff has surprised you, or what have you seen that's different this year? I'll, I'll start with Justin. I mean, Docker, Docker made a decision pretty early on um, that we would become fully distributed and not not have offices anymore we were um it it, it it's interesting because i've been a docker for five and a half years and um over that period um we've gone from being a very centralized in san francisco com- company to a very distributed company it it took you know that journey took quite a long time but we were already you know well on that way you know we were we were I think half European um, by the end of 2019 in terms of where people were and, you know, half US, half Europe. So we kind of become, we've become pretty distributed and we become much better at working like that. But we, you know, it, it, and so it seemed quite, you know, quite natural to do the, let's not, um, let's not have offices anymore thing it was um it was less of a jolt and like you know it was like kind of it seemed i mean the 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 lease in our cambridge office expired uh, maybe six months ago and it's like it would it seemed kind of weird to renew into that period and um so that so i think that we we were perhaps further on that journey than than some people but i mean obviously there's always there's been people who started off fully remote and um and it's kind of becoming more normal but we were we were well on that journey we so we've been doing things like hiring people pretty much regardless of where they were before um like like donny um but but it's become you know it's just because you know it's not we know we don't really ask people anymore particularly where they are and um i don't you know it's become much less relevant and the um the onboarding experience I think that's for you know people starting has has changed a little because um again we used to send people we used to send everyone to San Francisco for a week but actually that was that was becoming less and less relevant as people actually onboarded you know in the, in France or the UK and um didn't actually there wasn't really much point in 
something that it was a kind of a relic of the centralized culture that was one of the things that took longest to go away, I guess. So that so that that kind of change really just made it it made the change happen faster last year than it would have done otherwise. We probably would have been there in a in a couple of years anyway, I would think, or maybe even like maybe even last year. Yeah, I mean it's it's been the same as it has been for a lot of companies. I think Justin's point at the end there about uh, you know accelerating the pace of change is, is extremely true um, in terms of you know the way people are working internally and the way they're interacting with others outside of their companies. Um, you know, at different communities, um, like we've already seen, you know, an interesting blend of you know in person events for local communities and then you know some combination of national conferences regional conferences global conferences um, but a lot of people can't access those for time or budget um, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know there there have been other like online communities on slack or like different even webcasts and that kind of thing right the whole intent of those is to is to reach people where they are um, instead of making them mm-hmm. come to you and and so i think this has definitely accelerated a lot of that um, you know it's driven a lot of people using um, online platforms that are much better suited to online events um, mm-hmm. instead of trying to force feed synchronous in-person models into online. And like, it's, it's the same as trying to force feed, um, you know, models that are optimized for one office into a global distributed company and kind of watching them fail when you're like, Oh, well, there's only one hour of overlap every day between Germany and San Francisco. So how do you make that work if you rely on only synchronous ways of working? And the answer is um, you can't, if there's any collaboration involved, right? You either yeah. optimize for autonomous or optimize for asynchronous or both. Yeah. Well, I, and I looked and I saw that uh, Docker has a whole bunch of, you know, career openings available. If people are interested that definitely are very remote first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, it's, um, yeah, we, we, we really are just, you know, we, we really don't mind where people are. We, um, I think, you know, people are actually moving around, you know, people are moving around in the U S and we don't, yeah, we're not sure we'll even know where they are anymore at some point. <laughs> I mean, tax purposes, that's pretty much the only thing, right? Yeah. yeah I think the, the U S has, Hiring restrictions on in different states because I remember filling in paperwork for one one state at one point. But yeah, it's it's taxes, it's hiring, and um, you know at the level of countries, it's um, being able to kind of legally operate in, in different places, yeah. and that's the main lim- that's the main limiter besides time zones. Um, like right now, as we think about where might we be interested in um, being able to additionally hire, it's really about how do we enable the level of time zone overlap that we want to have right now. Um, and whether that's specific geographies um, that already overlap well, or whether that's looking for people who are interested in working, um, you know, different shifts who live in places where the time zones don't overlap quite, quite as well. Okay, so uh, I want to wrap with um, a discussion of the upcoming DockerCon. So I know that the DockerCon Online CFP closes in just a few days here. Um and uh, I saw that there was a blog post about how to write a great talk proposal for DockerCon Live 2021. And I'll put a link to that in the notes. And I, I just want to hear from both of you, um, starting with Justin, like, what are you excited about coming up, whether it is stuff that you already have on your roadmap or stuff that you know customers are doing that they're going to tell you about? Like, what are you looking for to feature and to see uh, at DockerCon and in the year ahead? DockerCon 
Last year was one of the uh, first online conferences that happened because we planned it to be online anyway before the pandemic. So we were kind of mm-hmm. pre- more prepared than other people. And it had an amazing attendance. I think there were 80,000 people there. It was really, <laughs> it was gigantic. And I mean, it, it really is one of those things that like you, it makes you realize how much conferences are more, so much more accessible to people when they don't have to pay to travel to the, mm-hmm. somewhere in the US. And they can just attend from from home, and that was really amazing. And really, I'd really like to see people's you know stories who wouldn't otherwise be heard because they wouldn't attend. And I think you know we we always had a um, sponsorship program and things for DoggerCon, but that was only a small handful of people. And I think that just um, you know developer stories from from wherever you are and whatever you're doing are really important and and we'd love to hear them there are there aren't that many big conferences that really focus on like general developer topics and DoggerCon really is like that I, people always ask me like it's DoggerCon like KubeCon or something like if you look at the people who attend DoggerCon is maybe 80% people who identify strongly as being developers whereas KubeCon is um quite mixed but like the strongest contingent is people who work in infrastructure um and so it has a very different like feel from the audience point of view and the and the kinds of things we want to people you know we're interested in is people who are developers and are you know trying to get stuff down and um you know maybe uh, you know are you using docker and it's helped them to do things and and those are the kind of stories we're looking at and really i mean i think the um like if you're not sure if the thing you want to submit is the right kind of thing, then if it's for develop, if it's interesting for developers, then submit it. Really, it's um, like don't be too, don't look at the guidelines too narrowly. But I mean, we try to we try to ask people to talk about experience of working together in teams and and those things that we're you know trying to we're trying to help from the product point of view is work people to collaborate better um, and. Uh, in teams and and work together because that's always been you know an important part of the thing of the learning experience and things is like is helping your teammates on board to help it you know helping them use the tooling helping that making you know images that you can share between your teams so you can develop more easily and those types of things and so that's why we put that team collaboration in the cfp but we're really interested in everyone's experience you know as a developer of modern applications and what they've learned. All right. What do you think, Donnie? What's on your horizon, uh, DockerCon wise and coming up this year? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the thing that really makes conference, conferences valuable for people who are going there is being able to um, swap stories with each other to learn from each other about how do you, how do you make yourselves better? How do you make the way you're using your software better? And how do you, how do you use that to get your job done? Um, because no, nobody wakes up saying like, Oh, I want to use this tool today. Um, they wake up saying, here's what I want to get accomplished today. And here's the things that I'll need to help me get there. Um, and I really want those things to be, you know, amazing and magical to use and stay out of my way and let me get stuff done rather than being constant kind of frustrations. And, you know, I, I just saw a stat the other day and I honestly don't know how real it is, but I, it concerned me, which is somebody saying that like 50% of, of developer time uh, on cloud native applications might be spent configuring stuff. Uh, rather than, you know, writing net new code. Uh, and I'm like, hmm, well, I, I, I wouldn't disagree, but I, I do want to learn more to see how real that may be. 
I wonder how much of that has to do with like usability and how much of it has to do with like security, compliance, uh, meeting the requirements you need to meet. Security shouldn't be about configuring things. (laughs) Unless you're filling out a form to get somebody to open firewall rules for you. (laughs) Yeah. No shortage of those. Um, yeah, so, so I think learning from each other is, is a great opportunity of, you know, a conference is, is a, a punctuation mark in a good community that has ongoing momentum. That's a great opportunity for a larger group to come together at one place in time, whether that's uh, virtual or physical. And, you know, one, one example of this, when I think about it, is like we've got this new experimental tool called Hub Tool um, that's for like interacting with Docker Hub, using a CLI, using APIs in, in a programmatic way. And so we rolled it out. And it's got stuff like account management, user management, token management, whatever. Um, but what's really valuable about that is watching how people pick that up and start incorporating that into their pipelines and into serverless jobs and cron jobs. Like, what does it do that makes it into a platform? Um, it's not about like viewing my account. It's about things like how do I automate token rotation and how do I how do I make sure that all my images have both the M1 build and the x86 build and you know, how do I monitor whether I've used up all my subscription seats or whether I, and I need to go buy more or not? Um, like, it's, it's the use cases that are interesting. It's not like, here's a tool, have fun with it. Because um, people, you know, some people will go investigate a tool and, like, dig deep into it and understand everything that's possible. Um, but a lot of people want um, some level of guidance of, like, why would I care? Give me a use case. Give me a problem I want to solve. And then help me solve that with the tools at my disposal. All right. Um, I'm going to... Uh... Tell folks to head over to arrestedevops.com slash all things Docker uh, when we get this published for the episode's show notes, links to the various things people have been talking about. Uh, visit arrestedevops.com slash iTunes, leave us a review in the iTunes store. Apparently that helps people find the podcast. I don't know how computers work. That's confusing to me, but we're apparently also on Spotify and iHeartRadio if you're into that sort of thing. And uh, thank you so much to Justin and Donnie for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. This is Arrested DevOps. And remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand. <laughs>